You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. guys for joining us for another Lana Legacy podcast. This is your host Adam Keith and Matt Dye. We're coming off a stretch of flat putting some miles on the road and some miles on the old boot leather. Yeah, we boot have rubber, been, I guess. The boot straps. Yeah. They have uh they've been worn, so have the tires on the truck, but uh that's a good thing because that means we have been on some properties covering some ground and talking with landowners from all across the country. And with so many diverse properties, that's my favorite thing. Oh, totally. Totally my favorite. And, and, you know, there was a stretch there, I think we said, for like 10 days where we were on over like 10,000 acres. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Which was nuts. Yeah. But it was incredible at the same time. And that went from, that was like multiple states, uh, multiple habitat ecosystems it was a it was a fantastic yeah. little 10 days but holy cow i was ready to be home one that you look back and you're like man i i am my my brain's not tired but there's so much that goes into each one you're mm-hmm. thinking and and you're evaluating it you're analyzing how they all work together and then as soon as you're done with that one you jump and you're on the different one you're like it's similar but it's so different at the same time yep and that's one thing we laugh about a lot is people ask us how we can keep everything organized in our brain of how, how do you remember what this property looks like? I forget a lot of things, but I don't forget the layout of a mm, farm. No. It's, uh, I don't forget, you know, in five years, a client can call us up. Hey, over here on the southwest portion, I say, hold on, let me pull the map up. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I know what that you're talking it. about. Yeah, I got you. I got you. And so... And what I are you can... seeing? What are you doing there now? You know? Yeah. And so, you know... We're gonna. We've got a topic. We're gonna do a farm breakdown this week, just because I think we get so much great feedback from doing the farms and how we lay them out and things that people run into. And this property is actually a really cool one that I think a lot of it's got some characteristics that I think a lot of people have dealt with. So many people do, or or are afraid to deal with. Mm-hmm. For yeah. sure. So we're gonna break that down. But first, we're gonna um, since we've done so much consulting work um we kind of want to discuss i'm curious um to hear from matt and uh there was a stretch there where he went to west virginia and pennsylvania and then at that same time i was in ohio and northern missouri and then we've been to iowa and 
uh, Oklahoma and a couple other places. Tennessee. Tennessee. Mississippi. Mississippi. I, there's so many states in there now <laughs> that I'm forgetting. Um, and we'll be in Indiana soon. And uh, Actually, so, at the end of the week. Yeah, in a few days, actually. So in the process of all that um, and all the miles we've covered, I'm just curious, and we haven't even talked about this. I don't even think it's on show notes, but I'm curious to to hear, Matt, your thoughts on, is there anything that stuck out, habitat, speaking habitat across the country? What did you see? Oh, oh my gosh. Where do you even start? Where did I see that just was like, you know what, this is so unique. Um Honestly, I go I go to the property there in West Virginia, um, and <clears throat> West Virginia it, it's very very diverse. Um, and I was in the very northeast portion, and surprisingly enough, there's there's some agriculture in that area. Um, and this property had a little bit of I think it was thirteen or fourteen acres of corn um, that was planted each year in a bottom field, and despite that the out that the surrounding area you basically go from like one extreme to another pretty quickly because it's pretty mountainous um and so he's he's got some cornfields and then that karst environment like that the rocky you know shaley rock there in in in, um west virginia and it was it was kind of a flashback if you will to being here like we're, we're in a really rocky situation um a lot of rock outcroppings seen throughout the timber and glades um, and just shallow soil. So it was kind of like, hey, this is similar to home, a different type of rock, a different type of um, you know ecosystem, but the same environment, that karst you know, landscape. So that was kind of neat just to see you know, how similar some things were, but different at the same time. Um, and then the other portion was southern, south central PA, um, and I think a lot of people underestimate a little bit. Um, there's a lot of agriculture in that area. Um, there really, really is. It's, it's drastically different from what we experience throughout much of the Midwest. You know, these fields aren't that big. They're 12, 15, 20 acres. That's a decent sized field out there. Um, so the farming, um, routine is, is much different, but apple orchards everywhere in that area too. So that's kind of cool. Um, you know, that, that little portion of the country is just known for that many, um, apple orchards. So just cool to be, to be in there, um, analyzing that and seeing how it affected those properties. Yeah. Cool. What about, what about for you though? You uh, were, you were in Ohio that same weekend and in Northeast Missouri, right? Yeah. I know that, uh, a deer can do some damage to a Nissan Versa rental. <laughs> I know that yeah, much. Yeah, uh, that was thank, a funny call. Thank, yeah, thank goodness for uh, insurance um, and safety and safety. Yeah. So uh, for me, you know, I have to go back. What do you think I'm going to go to? And and for me, I'm looking at kind of what I have a couple different scenarios here, def- different stories. One thing I did notice from driving across from Missouri, Illinois, Indiana, in in, the, in even parts of Kentucky and Ohio, and then all the way back through a different route through the northern part, or kind of more northern than my southern route, um, is one thing I noticed, and we've talked about it so much on this podcast, and it's almost to where I think people associate us. It's like Adam hates cedar tree monocultures. Keith and Matt dies, cedar tree slayer, or Matt cedar tree slayer dies. So many people are like, yeah, I know you hate cedars. Yeah, there's, there's some cedars down here. 
I know I'm going to cut them, um, but you don't have to. You don't have to tell me I need to cut them. I already know. And uh, I and we talk so much when you're talking about cedar tree, the eastern eastern red cedar, um, invasive. Basically, what's happening in Oklahoma? I think that it's happening in other parts of the country, but the biggest difference is in Oklahoma. It is encroaching in something that we can see immediately changing, and that's rangeland. We're seeing pastures getting taken over by cedars, so it's obvious. The, it's right in front of their right. face because it's the only tree growing. Yeah, and, and you're going you're going from an open view to oh, I can't see anymore. Yeah, like, that's that's night and day. It's, basically, it's either a grass, it's grass, or a tree, which yeah. is cedar. Right in in the Ozarks and parts of northern Missouri and Illinois, it's happening, but it's happening under other trees within the timber and so we don't even notice it it's just like oh yeah there's some cedars in there but it's happening right in front of our face this eastern red cedar in, mm-hmm. invasion and since it's happening in in a parts of the country that is already timber it's not a big deal it's not as it's not as evident yeah it's oh it's that's a tree that's a timber stand in there and it's just another type of tree growing in there but the problem is it's crowding out and taking over the complete understory to a point where Let, let's the look next at that. generation right. is going to be affected. Let's look at that. You know, thirty years from now, you you don't have hardwood regeneration. Period. You don't. And and if something comes along, we get more of a, a disease or an insect comes in. It starts killing the the trees above the cedar trees. Mm-hmm. We're looking at going. Holy cow! Mark my words. Thirty years from now, if we let it keep happening the way it is, we're going to get really really scared of of what the eastern red cedar has done and and imagine and i don't i don't want to throw out the oh they're just debbie downers but if those go unmanaged those all those wildfires and stuff like that that you're seeing out west that are so horrible and unmanaged timber if if predominantly the the timber land in your area turns to cedar imagine a match going off in that if you've never seen cedars burn enough yeah yeah, it's going to so, be bad. I think I think it's a, a huge problem, but the difference is it's happening in Oklahoma where they can see it go from grass mm-hmm. to trees, but it's happening across and, a lot of the country. And in so. those areas, they're so their economy so you know dependent upon the rangeland. Yeah. Whereas in the timber areas in in parts of Missouri and Illinois, Indiana, it's not as dependent upon it. So it's like, oh, it's kind of neglected if, already. If it right? was happening in crop ground, if they weren't tilling or doing any of that, and it was happening in crop ground, they'd be talking about it. Oh, sure. But since it's happening in unmanaged timber, it's no big deal. Yeah. But it's there, a big deal. it is a big deal. That right. was one thing I noticed. Just <clears throat> driving is just cedar trees, eastern red cedar everywhere. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, and then once you got out of cedars, you started getting into even more invasives of bush honeysuckle and, and autumn olive, and it was just like, Ugh, it's one invasive after and after the next, and it's all happening, for the most part, in these unmanaged timber stands. Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is why we talked about timber management last week because it's yeah. so important. Another thing I I noticed in in well, that we always do, and even properties with real estate, different things we like to do, or or we see a piece of ground. I always like to go and check it out on Web Soil Survey, and basically I look and see what the historical site index is and i've seen it so much woodland or what was the one we saw the other day uh waterway prairie Mm -hmm. yep 
Um, or even I've seen some savanna mm-hmm. and then other just straight um, tall grass prairie. And almost every time we go to one of those, guess what? It doesn't look like the site it's, indicates. It's not that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, it's a woodland. Oh, guess what? No, it's actually closed canopy forest. That's why we have to check it. Oh, it's and, and a lot of times it's you kind of already gather that based on what you, we know yeah. because you'll see these big post oaks or these big bur oaks or big white oaks, big wolfy-looking trees in the middle of forest, and you see all these other... I don't know, 6-inch to 10-inch <laughs> DBH trees stacked in all around it. And it's like, so it says woodland or it says savanna. And so that tree, that tree, that tree, the big ones were here. Man, but all came. this all small stuff was, was once grass. So, yeah, I thought that was the most there's, interesting there's thing There's site for me. indicators. Yeah. But, you, you you know, it's always good to go back and check. You're like, okay, I could totally see that being a woodland. Oh for sure. so, yeah, and that's like today. We finally had some time. We went to the went to my family farm, we ran a chainsaw and it was kinda like looking around of okay, this site's woodland and you look around and it's oh, there's a big wolfy post oak, there's a big post oak, there's a big post oak, everywhere in between is hickory, cedars, junk. Junk for the most part. So anyway, that's that's kinda for me the two big things was historically speaking the site was not usually what it was supposed to be or was once um, so beneficial, and then also the amount of invasives that I saw. Mm-hmm. So yeah. anyway, um, I think that pretty well covers it. Keep in mind, as everybody probably knows by now, we're, we are land consultants. So this is what we do for a living. We're also real estate agents out of uh, Mossy Oak Properties of the Heartland office here in southern Missouri. Um, but we are licensed for anywhere in Missouri. So if you guys are looking to buy or sell land, or also interested in just improving your land, contact us at info at landandlegacy.tv. So anyway, are you ready to start breaking down this property? So ready. So ready. Because this is such a neat property, man. We were just on it like two days. Yeah, two days ago. And I I like this area. It's close to home, um, but it's one of those areas that is, I, I feel like it's been less abused in, in in a way um as you're driving through the area you can see remnants of woodlands you can see native grasses still there you can see plum thickets throughout the landscape and it's just it's it's cool because most of the other places have been you know all the post oaks been cut out and then just junk has 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 regrown um or just planted fescue but there's some areas within this larger, greater area surrounding the property that you're like, oh wow, look, there's some there's some natives that are doing all right. There's some oh, that woodland, that woodlot's been managed by fire, um, so it's kind of a cool area. I, I like it. Yeah, I, and I think as we get into this a little bit, we'll talk about the neighboring property. But a great indicator of kind of um, almost not a lot of basically activity to really hurt some of the native landscape is we saw those fields that have been set fallow for i don't know how long and for the most part you have a lot of native grass trying to grow through the blanket of fescue Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's just like you know if that fescue hadn't been planted there would probably be a field of native grass and and shrubs and everything over there and there would be great habitat but 
that fescue is really giving it a run for run for its money. For sure, for sure has. So what we're gonna do again, if you if you're new to the whole property breakdown, we're gonna we're gonna take this property, and the picture that you're seeing correlated with this podcast is gonna orient you around the property. So we're gonna hit points one through eleven and talk about each one and things that we would do our recommendations in those areas, um, and then it'll kind of basically bring bring light to the property and how it's gonna get improved down the road because this landowner props to him. Um, He's one, he likes to roll his sleeves up and just get with it. He's not afraid of work, and he's looking forward to doing the work. He's been busy um, with kids and family, and now he's at a point where, you know what? He's seen hunting over the past you know, five or so, six years change. That's because the habitat's changed as well, and, and he's correlated that and called us and now has got a plan that's going to get him so ready and the habitat ready to just hold deer, keep them on the property, because that was a big portion of um, the differences that he was seeing. So anyhow, he's pumped up, he's ready to work, and he's going to make a huge impact on this property. Adam, you ready to start at uh, point number one, area number one on the map? <laughs> you got here it is right here this is the area right okay. behind the cabin um so you get to the property and this is one of the areas i was just kind of talking about it, it was open at one point maybe old pasture but there's so many natives that are popping up in this area and it, it's kind of been abandoned i mean we saw indian grass we saw sumac we saw plum thickets we saw little blue big blue little, yep dogwoods i think little Gray dogwoods in there. There were cedars in there, of course, but they were growing up getting big. There were probably, there were some cedars in there. It was probably 30 foot tall. So yeah. it's been neglected for some time now. But there's still hope in that area. And it was pretty thick. Um, so in that area specifically, and, and that was actually the last spot we went to on the property, we had traveled around everything else. And we're like, okay, we can't, we can't neglect that. We need, we need to go see that. So we, we went in there and it's like, okay, yeah, I can see, you know, look at all the brows here, the brows here. There's a couple beds, there's some trails. And then as, <clears throat> as we got to a certain portion right there in the area, um, he was telling us a story of actually it was the last buck he shot on the property, uh, late season this year. And, when he was telling the story, it all kind of made sense of he actually killed this deer in one of the food pots on the very south side of the property. But the way these deer had moved through the timber when we first saw them, we connected the dots and said, okay, it seems like the deer that you shot, those bucks, they were actually all the way up here close, like right behind your cabin. And you ended up killing the food plot in the, the southern portion of the property. Um, so deer were using it as a bedding area at this time. Again, it had, been, it had been neglected. He never went in there. He just drove a buggy through it, but it needed improvement. It and needed by attention. It, by through it, we're looking at probably, I don't know, 10, 15 acres. Yeah. Um, and the lodge sits on the very west side and the road goes straight out behind it and loops down and goes to the, the more mature timber, but it probably only touches two to three acres yeah you, on the and west you can side. see that so there yeah. there's another seven acres seven to Easy. ten acres that's just left a sanctuary and right until <laughs> it, was, it was funny though until he had heard the podcast about cedars he just drove past them you know all the time and didn't really think anything of them and then by the time we get there 
um, this past weekend, he had gone and cut the majority of those cedars out of there. He's like, I, I know I'm, I know I'm going to need to cut them. So I'm just going to get after them. Um, and he addressed many of the cedars there. Um, but to maintain that and improve that bedding, the additional cedars needed to be cut out of there. And I like the location of that bedding area, the way it worked throughout the property and the way other um, food resources were laid out. But things that he needed to address in there, there were some invasives. There were Bradford pears, which we don't often talk about, but they are a big problem um, in our Which area. Problem. You think we don't like cedars? Wait till you hear us <laughs> talk about Bradford pears. Bradford pears. There were cedars. There was multiflora rose. And there autumn was olive. Autumn olive in there as yep. well. Pockets. Um, and Cerisa Lespedusa. And Cerisa. Yep. So and, those. All, all of them were very, uh, other than the cedars, um, there was just pockets yeah. of the other yeah. invasives. So you could address the autumn olives and the Bradford pears. Very quickly, in uh, maybe an hour, you'd have them all knocked out. Yeah, treated, Cerisa, done, out of your mind. Cerisa would be a little bit more uh, kind of a couple different treatments of herbicide to kill that out. Um, but for the most part, the cedars is the biggest problem. But mm-hmm. they're the easiest one to control. Yeah, yeah. And one of the, the neatest features on this place um or in this area was a pond in a really, really nice pond. It's it's tough to see from the map or the aerial that we're given, but as we got in there, that pond in its proximity to high quality bedding and its proximity to um, the food resource may allow him to have a dynamite hunting spot early season as it's warm, deer in the bedding area, move out, hit water real quick, and then make their way to a food resource. Or, as the rut is really kicking in, if it's a warm November, bucks will be using that water resource. And and he's actually going to be able to sneak in um, by clearing a little trail through there, pop up, he gets off the trail maybe 70 yards or so, um, cuts his way through there, climbs up in the tree, and will be able to have the wind at his advantage in that area. And if those conditions are right, hot early season or warm rut, I feel very confident with him so close to that bedding area that he's going to have success as a deer gets on his feet. Maybe it might even be a midday situation that gets on his feet, hits the water because he's still comfortable in, in a secure area and, and goes back and lays down. Or they get up early, make their way out to the clover food plot. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. I, I, I really like that that uh, that pond for yeah. sure. I think it was, and it was actually one of those spots that they treated as sanctuary mm-hmm. and had not even hunted because they felt it was a little too intrusive. But, you know, if you just, that's one of those spots where you just barely stick your nose in their business and you let everything go on and then you're just right back out of there. So, and to you're me, all, it's, a, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's a perfect storm situation. Yeah. You're, you know, you don't go and hunt it, you know, middle of October. And no, you're not no. going in there to shoot your does. No, no. It's minimal intrusion and a very small window that you can strike, but that perfect storm, the, the way the conditions are going to set up, you have a great opportunity there. To me, I think you have a cam- a trail camera on that food plot and you're checking it or even you can set, you can actually set close to that food plot and monitor it, let's say September 10th through the 14th with the right wind and watch and see if there's any bucks coming in. And if they are, and depending on which direction they're going, but you have to believe that there's a good chance they're going by that pond. Mm-hmm. And, or or if they get there five minutes after light. 
and you're like, and you get the right wind to be able to get in there, you can kill him 15 minutes before that, easy at that yeah. pond, or even an hour. Yeah, they're going to so stage close, up there. Yeah, so close to yes. the bedding. So, I think that that pond is very much an underused part of the property right now. Yeah, yeah. So. Yep, and and by managing and enhancing those features and and making it a better bedding area, he's gonna. It's only gonna make that hunting spot that much better. Yeah, and the maintenance there pretty easy. As as we're talking about this property, and we haven't even. It's two hundred seventy five acres, and I don't know what the uh, overall open ground acreage Ooh. to <laughs> closed can, closed canopy forest is right now. But if you were to Basically, remove the three semi-open acres that the lodge sits on um, and look at the rest of it. I would say that there's probably maybe 10 acres of open ground versus the rest would be 200, what, 260 acres of closed canopy forest. And when when we say closed canopy forest, closed canopy forest like you've probably never seen before. This thing was wide open some 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 of you may have seen this scenario when you're driving through a park and you see big big trees and just really nothing growing or, underneath. or you have the grandpa that lets his cattle run through the entire property well, woods yeah. field everything those woods you just you just transplant them you just take them from your farm and then put them on this 275 acres and that's what you got yeah it's very it wide very open wide open and so you think about that, um, pretty much where deer is making us live in, there's not much going on. No. So no. that's a that's a change that can happen. And if you change the timber ground, you've changed, well, a huge amount, uh, 260 incredible acres. Incredible amount of property. <laughs> all we, but 15 acres has been transformed. Which again, and I made mention of this earlier, we kind of connected a lot of dots when we went back to that location there at point number one, that that's likely where these bucks were baying that he ended up shooting. Um, because in between that, very, very low quality bedding. There was yeah. no, there would have been no reason for them to be, I mean, zero. No. Zero. If they're, if they're seeking out the best bedding in the area, which looking around the area there's two places where we're like okay that's pretty good bedding and it's towards the west and towards the north and mm -hmm. that's where he talked about when you look at where they've killed deer and where they've seen deer coming and going from he described those two spots and in the very south end but we'll get there yes yes yep. that is correct so south end off the property actually yep. and we'll explain that in a little bit but when you're talking about this is kind of one point i'd told Matt beforehand, but when you're talking about wildlife management and overall just trying to improve the habitat for a lot of species, um, there's so many species that are edge dependent, especially the white-tailed deer. My gosh, we talk about creatures of the edge all the time. And when you look at 260 acres of being closed canopy forest, there's not a lot of change in there. There's really nothing that, there's no edge. So if you were to kind of color coordinate your farm and go, okay, well, all closed canopy forest is a color red. This is something I want you to do on your own place and think about how you can improve the land. Is Closed canopy forest, all the color red. And then go, oh, okay, all food plots are green. And then all old field management is yellow. And all young forest or clear cut or whatever is some other color. Look and see how many different colors you have on your property and then start looking at those edges where it 
goes from one color to the next. That's where that's where you'll see a lot of habitat or a, a lot of change. Preferred habitat. Preferred, preferred habitat. You'll see more resources. different species, diversity, everything like that. So, and, and why is that? Because sunlight gets there. Yes. Just had to throw that nugget in there. <laughs> yes. You would get more sunlight in the first 30 yards of closed canopy forest on the edge of a food plot just because it can slip in from the side, not necessarily from above through the treetops, but through the side. As the sun rises or the sun sets, yes. it gets, creeps through that edge. So... When, you, when you're looking at trying to improve that, instead of having a 50-acre chunk of red, break that up and try to throw in some, let's say purple is for young forest. Throw in some purple dots all through there or, or different colors and try to break it up so you get all kinds of different colors at different sizes throughout your property. And one thing I want to I want to say that as we're talking about this property, it's important that we note that this landowner despite the habitat right now as is has been really successful on this property he's killed some great deer here over the years and it is just in part and due to the food resources that he has the surrounding area poor quality very low quality they don't offer much there's not crops probably within five to eight miles or so um, is the nearest just crop field. And this gentleman has got acres that he has devoted to high quality food plots. And late season is his time to shine in the area. He's seen loads of deer on the food plots and has killed some great deer, but he doesn't want to stop there. And he wants to continue and just see how, how good he can make it. And that's why we're here and addressing these other points. And there's certainly something when we get there um, that has helped the habitat in his neighborhood. But For sure. it's a ticking clock to where it's only getting worse unless they decide to manage it, which chances are they probably aren't going to. So mm-hmm. at some point, the habitat's getting worse, 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 worse. And so he's looking at it, trying to improve it on his place. Yes. So Let, let's go and talk about these purple polka dots you were referencing and go to point number two and what you'll see there is a specific area that we have suggested the landowner go in to this timber unit and and in essence do a clear cut what (gasps) no not not the clear cut yes (laughs) the clear cut not the clear cut (laughs) this is going to break up the timber this is going to change the that that area. And what we've done and and why we selected that area is if you were to have a topo map, you could see that there's basically a bowl in that area and deer right now are simply passing through that bowl. The trails through there were incredible. I mean, my oh, gosh, they were just great, but they were going right off the property. Exactly. It was a it was a okay, the better habitats off the property on the west side and and he he knew this and his tree stand basically was in between where this bedding area is going to be and the food plots and he was simply catching deer either in the morning from that stand catching them moving from the food plots to off his property and vice versa in the evening off the property to his food plot so he's hunting them in transition it's a great approach but many times they were doing it basically right at first light 
or very last light they were getting to him. So he has to cut the distance down, and then the only way to do that is improve the habitat on his property and and basically make better bedding areas on the property so deer bed here within the safety, the bounds of his property, and it will cut down the distance that they have to travel to that's, the food source. That's the biggest thing that's keeping them from being in the food plot or close to the food plot before dark is they have to travel a long ways. Mm-hmm. And now when we say clear cut, we're not talking... Now, I guess there are some instances where we would cut all the species of trees. If it's junk, but it's junk. There's a good, there's probably a good chance that these little clear cuts, and when we say clear cut, we're not talking the clear off 200 acres like you're probably seeing. We're talking about little one or two acre circles or chunks in the forest where there's really not much timber value. 75% of the trees aren't any value now and most likely won't be any value in the future and we are cutting those hinging a few cutting a few and treating them with herbicide and just cutting a few and letting them re-sprout just to provide some more habitat some more cover more forage and just overall improving the habitat so right now if he were to go that area and look up he's seen 100 percent canopy closure at the end of that clear cut we want him to see 70% sky. So only 30% within this one to two acre area is covered up with a canopy of one of those trees that's standing. Yes. So the trees that would be left are most likely oaks or walnuts or trees that are going to provide value. And there's a chance that just because it's a walnut, this brings up a conversation we had today working, just because it's a walnut doesn't mean it's got value. No. There's a good chance it's got a twisted log in it or it's it's hollow it doesn't have any value to you as far as income in the future of a log and it certainly doesn't have any wildlife value other than being hollow for den trees or or whatever but there's there for the most part there's probably trees like that throughout the property so we're not going to get too distracted on this one there's a reason why clear cut's almost a bad word for it because you think a clear cut in in your head you think 200 acres or a big area these are little bitty chunks of ground. And I, I think this is one reason why a lot of people don't talk about them is because it really is you're just going in and dropping a grenade and saying, boom, half the trees are getting cut. Mm-hmm. But I'm starting to see more people implement this. I'm starting Maybe to see. they're listening to the podcast. That'd be awesome. I, I think they are. I think a lot a lot more people are saying, you know what, I, I'm so far gone in the habitat that something's got to change. I've I've got to open up my my mind to 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 change that's the only way i'm gonna if i'm gonna see my deer hunting improve i have got to get used to the fact that change is going to be a part of the steps moving forward yes and and we put these a lot in areas where they're not right on the road we don't want them right on the road because of the fact that they draw so much attention from the deer the deer hang out in there that's a bedding area they bed right on the edge right in the middle since they are one to two acres it's not a a big bedding area, a big CRP field where you jump deer around the edges. They're going to bed throughout the entire thing just because it's not big enough to really. It's it's just ideal bedding. And and who cares if you know that they're in there, man? They're in there. 
I'm just yeah. gonna hunt them on the way to the food plot. Yeah. And and that's and if you look at the road system, and I think if you if you if you go back and, and remember I said that area was in a bowl, it was off the, the ridge top where the road was. That's the reason we're placing it there. One, because they're already prone to going through there, but two I can get up and around that if I want to go hunt the the south end of the property and not spook those deer. They don't see me. They may hear either a buggy go by or they may, you know, eventually cross my trail, you know, as I as I walk past them and they get up and move to the food plot. But you know what? It's not the end of the world. And they're in there. I'm not spooking them out of their bed as I'm traversing the property. I love that spot. That needs to happen there for him because it's going to help in so many other areas throughout the property of getting deer out of that unit and into his his food plots. And that one is there, again, because the way the rest of the terrain lays, that the, the pass that they take to the food plots, he can get in and kill, no problem. Yeah. No problem at all. So And, and we're putting those on several areas throughout the farm. Yeah. Uh, but that's, a, that's one that is really probably one of the biggest... And, and a no-brainer. And a no-brainer. Um, so, anything else on that point? <laughs> Man, I that's, think... That, that is where we're talking about changing the color, the overall color of the farm is by so, adding... Instead of being closed canopy forest and being red, it's now young forest, semi-open, um, color purple, basically. Yeah. So, And we've created more edge. Mm-hmm. And also... More forage because there's going to be a lot of early succession. Other types of plants grow up there. And there's also going to be some younger trees that grow back that we didn't treat with the herbicide or the stump sprouts of the hinge cut that are going to have great forage during the winter months. So For sure. Let's move on to, to unit number three. And, and it's it's no-brainer. Oh, you know exactly what it is. That dark green, as you guessed it, that is a cedar, red cedar monoculture. And actually, this is—I'm a little bit shocked when I looked at this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we walked it. It was very—they had some rock outcropping, shallow it soil, was very shallow soil. You saw some chinkapin oaks, um, and a southwest lot of facing, southwest south. facing slope. Very, very dry soil. It's just like okay, this is pr- this could be a glade. It didn't register on Web Soil Survey, but it could be a glade as far as. The same type of habitat. You could still, even though it didn't register under that soil profile, it could be managed and you get the response so easy. And that, so, yeah, right now, all it is is a, a cedar thicket. You walk in there, it's cold, um, there's no sunshine hitting. It should be south, since it's southwest facing, should have afternoon, midday sun hitting it, warming it up. But instead, it's the exact opposite because the cedar trees are taking all the sun and blocking it out. So it's just shade. So yep. you have basically no food available and no sunlight to be basking in during the cold winter months. Mm-hmm. First thing, we're going to drop the hammer on those babies. And we're going to fire up chainsaw. That sounded like a 76 like Chevrolet. Um, so anyway. Wouldn't you like that? That's, yeah. that's the farm vehicle. Well, I had to start that first to go cut these cedars. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and to get then there. he died. And then you got to keep <laughs> cranking. <laughs> So, um, we're going to cut all these cedars, and we're going to try and get it back to natural glade. Um, Basically, by cutting cedars and running a fire through there and letting sunlight and nature run its course, we're going to get a lot more. There was already a ton of uh, little wildflowers that were 
that were had grown up in there in the pockets where the cedars weren't as thick and a lot of little blue stems. So it told us we removed the cedars. And by remove, all we have to do is cut them and let them lay exactly where they are, send a fire through there, and let nature run its course. And we're going to have a lot more wildflowers, which are great food during the early summer. And then also, um, they're great all year round, if you ask me, but uh, for pollinators and everything else. But then it's also great bedding because you're going to have native grasses mixed in as well. So For sure. And the structure of the cedars. So it's I, I, we're going from a terrible bedding to a wonderful bedding area. Yeah, yeah. In a portion of the farm that doesn't get disturbed. It, it will not get, yeah, exactly. It will not get disturbed. Again, this is, from a hunting scenario, this area off the slope, off the ridge tops here, basically you've got you've got a food plot that sits to the north um, of basically the northeast and the northwest of the Cedar Glade. And when it, once it's restored and improved, those food plots are going to be, I mean, amazing kill plots yeah. for deer traveling to the larger destination food plots. They set up perfect, and the, the terrain is like, woo, man, this is going to pinch them jokers down. Oh, for sure. And I think another you brought up an interesting point there, not knowing it probably, but um, <laughs> when you mentioned about the slope, just off the slope, you couldn't hunt here effectively if no, you wanted no to way. because the wind's going to swirl so bad. No way. So how can we improve an area that we can't hunt, we, we can make it better for the deer as far as security and bedding. And you just brought up a point that I don't think you even knew. Oh, please. <laughs> Those are the most important places on the farm or any property, period, bar none. The areas that you can't get to and you can't hunt, devote those to the best bedding habitat that you can create in your area guess what you can bet deer are going to be there i think that you can guarantee it that's a question we get all the time of how i i, I own and it, it's usually regarding small properties and so less than 75 acres sometimes it's even 15 acres somebody asks, hey i only own 15 acres but i want more daylight activity from deer how can I do that? Biggest thing is always improve the security and cover so you can get more deer feeling comfortable on your place. How do you do that? Don't hunt it with bad winds. Dumb. Don't walk right through the middle of the property to hunt the back corner on the crop field of your neighbors. Don't do that stuff. Hunt it to where the deer don't know they're being hunted. So use the fringes, improve the interior of it, and just hunt them as they're going to and from your property to where they don't even know they're being hunted. I'm not afraid to devote portions, even large portions, of a property to sanctuary. If it doesn't make sense to hunt, then I'm not going to sit there and, and kick tires trying to make it work when all I'm doing is just educating deer. I'm going to say, you know what? I'll kill you elsewhere. And I think a lot of times you may we may get in the mindset, hey, this year I'm going to play it safe. Mm -hmm. I'm going to stay out of there. I'm only going to hunt the edges. And then come November 30th or whatever, you say, ah, I'm so sick of this. Let me go in there and... I may not I, be a patient man. Yeah, I, I'm going to go in there and hunt them. And yeah. so you do that. It's going to take a couple of... It's going to take some time to get the deer to associate your property with feeling safe. So even if you have to eat that tag or 
not shoot a buck and you shoot a couple of does as you're hunting the fringes, if you have to do that, that's still a win because over time the deer are going to learn that your property is the safe property. So give it some time, let it cook, let that let that pot boil, and I promise you it'll pay off in the long run. No doubt. I, I think that that's for sure it's going to happen. Um, it, it's just a matter of devoting the right spaces to less pressure or no pressure at all. Yes. That's I think it. some of our... Over time, and there's a you know, land and legacy was created, and the farms aren't. That's the wonderful thing and benefit to everyone is that we're going to get to see this property transform and hear about this property transform over time, because right now it's not that great. We haven't had time. We haven't had the equipment or the means to. We've been traveling. <laughs> <laughs> We've been traveling. And working other places where we didn't have time to completely give our properties a facelift. But over time, you're going to see our biggest drainages and our biggest draws where the wind swirls. Those are going to be our best bedding areas, our best areas for security. Sanctuary. And we're only going to hunt the ridges and the and the tops and the and the bottoms that we can get to in consistent winds. So, yep. woo, we got a long we way gotta, to go. We got to move on to number four. Number four is a great, great plot, but it could be better. And, and I think as you as you look at this property immediately, you see wow, there's there's quite a bit of food resources all kind of just boom slammed in into one little area, and that is really key into basically how do I plant that? How do I even though I can't change you know I've got bottom ground, I've got great um, soil fertility down there, but how can I change the way I plant these food plots, even though they're all kind of jam-packed into one another, how can I plant them differently that I offer different food resources at different times of the year and hunt in certain areas that are going to have better winds at different times of the year? But And also still have plenty of food. Enough forage. Yes. Again, there's like no crops in this area. So I was shocked. I really was at the number of pods that these soybeans had in the in the food plots, yeah, during late season. I mean, it, with it the was, amount of deer he was telling us they would see, they were seeing yeah, late season. Yeah, I, I was I was impressed, really impressed that they even got to make pods. Honestly, yeah. um, so he's doing a great job of that, and we don't want to we we can't change the fact that late season this place is going to be dynamite every single year, yeah. but we need to make sure. That we still keep the same amount of food resources here, but just the the orientation of them, the layout of them. And the other thing that we have to consider is, okay, at the end of this project or, or as we're going through this project, the amount of browse that this property is going to have, natural browse through the timber management and the clear cuts and everything else and the prescribed fire that's going to be run through this property that's going to help offset, offset this these food plots even further, yep. which it's, is really encouraging. Because that type of habitat management is basically replicating the historical management of the mm-hmm. land to where deer were doing just fine on that. The food plots are just a, a supplement. Over and above. And so it's just the ice cream, cherries on top type yeah. uh, tracting or, or forage for the deer. So... Um, the the thing about these food plots is they're all relatively close in proximity. Of basically, it's a I don't know a triangle, if you will. Um, Berm, I'm going to call it the Bermuda Triangle. There's like a thing's yeah. die in there. 
It's basically, uh, for 275 acres, you have the 10 acres of food plots or the 8 acres of food plots all within the same, they're probably 100 yards from each other, 200 mm-hmm. yards maybe, um, shaped in a little diamond shape. And uh, so it's important that we arrange these food plots in a, in a way to where there's forage available at different times or there's forage available throughout the year, but there's a more attractive one in this food plot versus having all three of them or four of them with the same forage available to where we don't know which food plot they're going to. It's all about condensing deer down to certain specific areas that are going to allow you to harvest them better. Yeah. That's it. So um, ways that we're going to do that, we're going to plant different types of summer mixes. A lot mm-hmm. of soybeans involved. I'm going to mix in some other stuff around that basically to provide some more forage that's also screened, um, provide screens around the edge. Um, to let allow the hunters to get in and out of, hopefully without alerting as many deer, um, concealing their movements, and also then mixing in fall blends and clovers in different portions of the fields to provide different forage throughout the... Because if you have, if he planted nothing but straight soybeans and it was a warm winter, he wouldn't have a lot of deer activity because they'd mm-hmm. be going elsewhere. Yeah, They're not looking for a lot of carbohydrates. They're looking for more protein stuff. They're probably going to be in pasture fields. Eating we don't clover. want that. Yeah. Not eating fescue. No. Eating clovers or other little forbs. And so by mixing this in, regardless of what the temperatures are, we have something attractive in these food plots. And the way it lays out right now and the way that we're going to further increase this layout is if you look directly to the east, you see number five. That area routinely is his late season dynamite area. And we're going to put... And, and or encourage the soybeans to have pods right there. And we're going to do that because if you look at number six to further to the east, there is bedding right there off these food plots. We're going to increase those areas that he's not ever going to touch. Right now, he's done a great job of you know, areas in and around six or the woods to the east of five. And those are relatively flat, but south or west-facing slopes. So what we're going to do there is right now, again, this is wide open timber. I mean, you're seeing for 200 yards through there. So five, late season, great. You can access it. And we're going to improve that access. We'll talk about in seven. But you can get down there knowing that the majority of the deer are going to be bedded to your east and we're going to concentrate them down in additional clear cuts on that west-facing slope. And they're going to be highly selecting that at the cooler temperatures during December, early January. And he can get in there and basically let those deer work to him out, out of number six in those, those clear cuts. Yes. So basically we have two types of bedding. We have the west-facing that we've talked about so far. Oh, I guess three. Uh, but we've got west. Typically, during the cooler months of the winter or the cold months of the winter, they're going to be on west or south-facing slopes. So we want to try to coordinate those with our food sources that provide great forage for those colder months. So the soybeans or your corn, your other grains. So we're putting the west-facing slopes in correlation, cor- west-facing slope bedding areas in correlation with the standing grain. Yes, and the reason why... We want five to be the better late season portion is because it typically 
And deer are bedding close to that food resource. When it gets so cold, they need to eat a lot. And sometimes they'll get up and feed late morning. They'll feed early afternoon. And if we were to put a, the best late, late season food resource on four, what we would be doing is saying, okay, we know the majority of deer are going to be bedding further to the east in that sanctuary, in those clear cuts. They would have to cross another food source for them to get to four. So that would, in essence, slow them down getting to where you're hunting and putting most of your activity. So we want to cut that down because that's a great time for him to be able to harvest deer on this property now and in the future because no one else around him is doing any type of management. So he's going to have the best woody browse and the best late season additional food plot late season food resources in the area. So let's let him get and hunt there. And we know the deer will be working, majority of them working from east to west into that food. And plot. another thing, what is the prevailing wind usually during those cold winter months north or northwest northeast and so with the creek this now keep in mind this is one of the points coming up but um this these two food plots he's talking about um that run i don't even know you've got the map but the food plots we're talking about now in the bottoms the creek runs from the north to the south Mm -hmm. so the thermals naturally want to go from the north to the south and that's the way the wind's most likely going to be during those cold sets during late season. So if we position the blind in the southern part of the southern food plot, yes. then we're going to be able to get in and out of without our wind drifting across the food plot. And alerting more and more deer. So that's why you know, we want to make it the best opportunity for him to harvest the deer that are going to be using this area. Yeah. And specifically... Yeah, the, it, it, it's a bottom, but the best chance for him to be successful is is likely a hard-sided buck palace six by six, five by six redneck deal in that corner. Yeah, and we've already talked about you know popping those windows open um, right when he gets in the blind, but keeping them closed, basically popping that seal in the windows, but keeping them closed. And when it's time, when it's go time, lift them up making it happen, but trying to keep as much scent in that blind as possible. Yes. And then basically the rest is history. And that's where I think, that's what I love about the redneck blinds is the fact that they're so airtight and the fact that, you know, growing up, if you had a, if you had a shooting house or especially a really nice one, you were a sissy hunter. That's just the way (laughs) it was like, oh yeah, he's got to get out of the elements. But now this is allowing us to hunt these little areas, these food plots, um, where the wind might not be as consistent, and we're trying to get in and and hunt successfully. Now, if we were to say, "Hey, you can't hunt in there; the wind's bad," we've just we've gone in there and we've made an unhappy client because we've told him he can't hunt his two best food plots on the farm. Yeah, not 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 going to happen. The better way is to get a couple of rednecks positioned in that. We're bottom. walking home. If that happens. <laughs> yeah, because we rode with him there. Yeah. So uh, put a couple of rednecks in there. You walk in, open up the windows, get them all ready, but then shut them back so you can lock your scent in and hunt and really uh, almost it, cheat. You, you, you use this tool as a... I, I'm going into a risky area, but it's the only area I can hunt them. And I'm just going to make it work. Yeah. 
And that that's the tool that blind is the tool you use for that instance. It's not just it's awesome. to get out of the elements. No. Now that's no. A, a huge benefit of it. Sure. But another the biggest is the fact that you can put them in places and hunt them with that with those yes. occasional during in those bottoms where the wind might drift. It's a heck of an investment. Mm-hmm. So for sure. Anyway. And there, so there'll be one in the very southern food plot, and then there's going to be one up on the very northern one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll talk about that in, in a second too. But So now you understand what four, five, and six are, how they all kind of correlate together, what the what the um, plan is for those areas. Let's talk about seven, because seven's an interesting area. Um, and that's the portion that actually registered as a flood High flood plain? No. Waterway prairie. Waterway prairie. That's what it was. Flood, you know it prairie, was? plain, something. And, and so you had a lot more species, those those early secessional or, or those perennial grasses that weren't your typical big blue nope. and little blue and what you think of prairie. River they oats. They were the river oats and the other rushes. types of, yep. of native rushes and, and sedges. sedges that are great moist soil um species wet feet they prefer the wet they, feet. yes so you and saw that in that area you saw it it was everywhere but what else did you see what do you guys want to guess <laughs> oh red oh, cedar cedars yeah the ones that don't care if they have wet feet or dry feet or, or no rocky rain feet for <laughs> yeah. they don't even care if they have to put they just put their roots on top of a stone and yep. they'll grow so that's a that's just uh so we had a waterway prairie here. And this little area, Matt, you got ready to say something. Yeah, you know, this area, you might be able to see it on that map. But the the landowner at this time, he knew it was bottom ground. It was fertile ground. So when we got there on site, he had actually planted portions of the area south of food plot five. Um and just said, hey, I've got great ground right there. I've got great dirt. Why don't I plant it? And just, you know, have additional forage in the area. And and what it took was for us to walk that entire area, basically, from what you see, um, food plot five, that east side, and then you go and you see food plot four, basically you go south of that, basically that, that whole hard edge there. That entire area was a mixture of the... The what was it again? The high pra- the water prairie, waterway prairie, waterway prairie. Those species were all throughout that area, and in reality, there where there doesn't need to be food there, and, and and it hurt him to have it planted, because as he was accessing or leaving those areas, he was gonna bump deer where he had actually planted. It, it sounded good to have more food plot areas or more forage, but it actually hurt him when in he, an access game. Yes. And and I don't know where it's at, but I know we're coming up on 15 minutes of time left. So <laughs> when yeah, it comes we'll to that, that, when you're in, in a situation like that, it comes down to um, basically instead of planting more acres, improving the acres that you already have planted and maybe you're taking this quarter acre out of food but you're devoting more time and money into these other areas mm-hmm. to where it were mediocre clover or mediocre fall food plot blend 
of maybe you just enhance that and plant more species or add more fertilizer or do a soil test or where areas where you just had soybeans, you broadcast some uh, fall blend in those areas to where once the pods or once the leaves have gone, you have this great salad bar growing up underneath standing pods. Mm-hmm, so for sure, that's really what we're going to recommend a lot on his food plot is, and even the small food plots. Maybe it's another number. Am I jumping ahead? Yes. Okay. That's I'll, okay. I'll stop. Okay. So in that whatever number it is, what so number? So now it's seven. It's it basically more food plots doesn't mean better. Like we're taking food plot areas right now out of production to improve the huntability of a farm. I know that may sound like what, but it makes sense because you can access this cleanly and it's going to improve basically what's going to return there after the cedars are cut, after it's not planted and he uses prescribed fire through that area. More early successional habitat, more edge species, and the deer trails that were coming through there. Oh my gosh, we walked and it was like highway, go another hundred yards, highway, go another hundred yards, highway. We don't need to be walking through this. We no. don't need to be bumping this. We gotta, we gotta treat this in a different, you know, basically give this place a, a facelift, as in cut the cedars, burn it, and walk away. Don't touch it. Let it go. And the benefit is it's more on the side slopes just up from the draw. So if your natural scent, the thermals and the scent, the way it's traveling is going to fall to the creek and go right down the creek. That's not where the deer are. They're actually just 50 yards to 100 yards up the slope in this little prairie area, waterway prairie. So we're not worried about our scent drifting right down where the deer are. So anyway. All right. Number eight. I think we covered that fine. Taking it out of production, letting it go. Number eight is actually off the property. And it was important for us to be able to go and see as we're walking in and around these, these food plots, four and five and up through six and seven, we're seeing so much deer activity off towards seven. Why are they doing that? So it that led us to go and investigate basically the fence line. What can we see from the neighbors? And as we get there, it's like, Oh, I get it. I, th- I think one of the interesting points for me was when the landowner said, you know, come mid to late October, the deer just leave. I don't see them as much. Well, that's kind of typical in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, you see deer start to leave because they're starting to do a little chasing and nudging. And so you have to have the cover. And that's why in creating these little clear cuts helps because does during that time of the year start to really seek some shelter because they're tired of getting pestered. They want to hide. And so they're trying to hide out because every little punk year and a half old buck comes along, sees them, and runs them mm-hmm. 200 yards, and they're sick of it. So they start seeking out these this thicker area, more covered, to where they can hide but still make a living. And, and so they seek this neighboring property out, and they go to where it's been High grade, basically. I mean, we don't want to say clear cut or anything. There was some just scattered junk timber left, but it was just, 80, it was high grade. 80% open canopy. I mean, and it had been done for three years. Was it three? Three years. I was going to say longer than that, but man, it made a jump. So there's like 10 foot saplings all Whew. through it. So the last two years, he said it just has had great hunting um, because basically... Deer were able to go over on the neighbor, live in this thick cutover, 
And no then, one was going to get through that even stuff. Even if they were trying to hunt it, that right. it, you'd make so much noise going in and around it that you couldn't really hunt it effectively. Yeah. So he was basically, uh, that neighbor was letting the deer just have their way when, and survive there. And then once late season hit, he had all the food. He had he just pulled them all right back. the food. But a way that we can improve the hunting throughout the season for him is take what he's learned from the southern boundary the southern neighbor, and put that on his place. Implement it onto his property. And by not cutting all the trees, but doing more of a timber stand improvement yeah. and woodland restoration project. You want, you're going about creating the similar habitat that he has on the neighboring property just using different techniques. Yeah. And thinking, again, legacy. I want to leave this better. And he totally has that mindset, and that's, that's awesome. So... That's an important resource for us to be able to check and understand how deer work from neighboring properties onto this one. Why is he being successful? Why is he seeing the way um, deer move on the property or the way they don't move anymore on the property over years? You know, things change, and that was a huge change for a neighbor that close to um, basically high grade his timber and have that that basically return to the area. Next one, number nine. So this is kind of a random space, but it's it's a reminder for us to talk about, again, that open timber. And, and Adamar talked about it and the fact that this area, the, the web soil survey indicates that this should be a woodland. And again, we want to work with Mother Nature. The area should be a woodland. It can be restored to a woodland. So what do you think we're going to do? We're going to restore it to a woodland. Yep. And there's programs that are available for a landowner to enroll his property or portions of his property that would classify as a woodland into woodland restoration. Now, keep in mind, if if it came down to it and I and my property was a woodland, which it is, and I tried to enroll in government program and failed and it didn't work, that's not stopping me from improving the sure. the timber. And I think that's one thing I hope you guys all know that when we talk about government programs, you do know that that's not just okay, if you can't if you can't get it into prairie restoration or this or that through whatever government program, okay, then just do something else. No, try to find a way to do it anyway. That's just government programs are just a way you can offset some cost. Yeah. Uh, or get somebody in there who's already done it by a private lands biologist or whoever it is to where they can walk you through it step by step as you do this. Um, so it's definitely something to keep in mind, but don't let the fact that you can't get it into a government program stop you from trying to improve your property. No, it's super important. And so we've made that suggestion to him. And throughout the timber, again, this is all just closed canopy forest, post oaks, hickories are coming back, some elm in there, um, a lot of black, black oak and blackjack mixed in this timber. So he will be restoring a woodland, whether he's a part of the program or not, but that's going to happen throughout the entire property, and it's going to be, I'm sure, a phased project, um, but it's important for him to realize and see, envision the change that's going to happen from what he's got now, basically wide open timber, closed canopy forest, to pockets, we're going to have probably one, two, three, four, four or so, maybe five, these little clear cuts that we're calling clear cuts, bedding thickets, scattered throughout the property in specific places to put deer during daylight hours, and then the rest of the timber is woodland 
restoration. So again, more open canopy timber with regeneration, and he's coming back and using prescribed fire in those areas. And as we were touring, there's that main road that goes through it, and we, we had to stop the landowner and be like, okay, look, let's look at this real quick. You're on the road. That means sunlight can actually get down here to this. And what are you seeing along the road? Broom's edge and little blue stem. And sumac, another little shrubby species. Yes, species that actually got a and a need require more sunlight, obviously, than what is offered in the closed canopy forest. That's why they grow along the road where the sunlight is, not in the, the closed canopy forest. So that site told us, hey, if we just open up the canopy, we're going to get more of these species here throughout the entire property. So let's do that. That's what's going to make the property so much better. And then we're just going to maintain it with fire, which leads us to point number 10, which is fire a line. road system. Yeah, a better road system. I think this is one thing you see a lot on properties is there's one main road runs through the middle of the property, goes down to the food plots, and that's it. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> that's kind of makes it difficult sometimes because you don't have options to uh, ideally you have multiple roads you have a road that goes around the perimeter of the property that serves as a as a fire break but you also can maneuver around and avoid food plots and bedding areas and never really intrude and disturb deer Mm -hmm. so you can go and hunt this food plot or that food plot and you never have to go through another food plot to get to it and so Allowing and building more roads on this property will allow the landowner to avoid driving through food plots. For sure. And maintaining the whole thing with fire. That's going to be huge. Huge. Um, And that's that's one aspect, one of many, that he's really looking forward to. He's taken the classes. He's one of those people. He's got the personality that says, when I set my mind to something, I'm going to do it. So he's gone through done the classes, and is ready to implement fire on his property. So kudos to him. Number 11, food plot. It's a food plot that's less than 100 yards from the lodge. And basically from the main road system as the farm sits right now, you leave the lodge and you go 100 yards and you're in the first food plot, and then you continue driving to the other food plots. So... As you would suspect, change in road system, as we talked in number 10, will allow the hunter, the landowner, to avoid driving through one of the biggest food plots every time he goes to hunt the place. Mm -hmm. So he can avoid jumping deer, and that's actually the food plot closest to number one, the old field, the great bedding area where we suspect a lot of deer are bedding. Now, if he avoids driving through that and he takes the other way, there's a good chance they're going to have some daylight movement from from a mature buck on that first food plot, the one he's been driving. For through. sure, for sure. So. And that one we're gonna that one right now is clover. Yeah. And and we're actually going to recommend taking it out of clover because throughout the property, as you'll see, there's very there's a lot of kill plots throughout the property in great places, but those areas are going to be better served and and devoted to clover than that larger food plot number 11. So we're going to change that that food plot, take it out of clover production, put it into, he's probably going to be able to plant soybeans and then a fall blend um, and then have the clover 
designated in these kill plots. So that's the wrap-up of that property. That's a wrap-up. Would you rather... We had a guy email in last week. He said, would you rather own a large, larger property with a bad layout or a smaller property with a great layout? And, uh, of course... Uh, and then he said quality over quantity. Um, obviously, we've seen a... I mean, you would suspect out of all the acres we've seen in the last... Uh, in our lifetime, actually, layouts are usually sometimes... <laughs> I crawled at it on you a little bit. Layouts are oftentimes one of the biggest problems we face. No, for um, sure. Seeing a place. And that's for why sure. we're, we're land consultants, habitat consultants, but oftentimes we call ourselves a hunt consultant because... Um, there's so many um, layouts that are, are the biggest issue on you, the success you, of the you, property. You walk the property and kind of like look at your palm of your hand then smack your forehead with like, go! So if I was buying land, I would automatically suspect that a bad layout is going to be there <laughs> yeah. and I'm just going to have to fix it. So I would obviously take quantity. I would take want a bigger more farm. I can change it. And, and just change it. So. Yeah, I can. I can. I can change that's what we do that's what we yeah. do for a living so i'd rather take more acres get more acres and better habitat and hunt more acres than have basically if you will a turnkey oh this one's set up but i only have a little bit of acres i would rather take a bigger farm covered in invasives and fix it than a small farm that's got premier habitat that's me i, I mean i would just rather have more land isn't that what you'd all want so it's not about Owning, I'll ask you again in year 13 of that. (laughs) (laughs) In invasives, I'm talking red cedars. Because here's the thing. Herbicide will fix a lot of issues, and fire will fix a lot of issues. So by golly. Basically, whenever I would go and visit you on that property, you're going to have a backpack sprayer on and a a drip torch in your hand. You're just going to be walking. Well, here's the thing. This is how you fix that problem. You've got a lot... You've got a lot more land, so you have the opportunity to take a lot more people hunting. A lot more people hunting means a lot more help that you can have that oh, you can call on into yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go, problem solved. I can always fix it, right? Right. So, um, <laughs> would you rather, Matt, buy a farm with multiple hunting opportunities, as in it's got great habitat for deer, it's Ooh. got a, a water hole for ducks, you can hunt turkeys. And you can hunt rabbits, and you just have you can hunt anything you really want to hunt. I wouldn't buy a farm that you couldn't hunt turkeys on. But just like, just the, let you know. Here's the issue. Yeah, you know that there's a good chance you're probably not gonna. You're in an area where a 150 is a good deer. You okay. Just, you're you're in the you're in southwest Missouri. You don't have ideal neighbors, but you have the opportunity to hunt so many other species. Mm-hmm. Or would you rather own a farm that was really only set up to have Great deer. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I hate you right now. Uh, I'd want the multiple species. Uh, that's how I am. I, I'd much rather, like, if you could say. I yeah. want, I'd rather have a deer of an age class than a, than a, uh, I guess, a, a, a giant. Yeah. And, and in my notes, I say the one farm tops out of 150s. The other farm has the potential to grow a 200 every couple of years. <laughs> and a, now you tell me. Yeah. I, I, I assumed, I mean, for me, yeah, it's, I, it's I, all about 
all the different things you can hunt. So I would for much sure, rather have for that. For sure. Because, so. you know, I and and this is this is just me being skeptical. I'd be like, huh. So the area tells me I can only take a 150? Yeah. yeah. Prove it. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm going to try it. I'm going to yeah. try my hardest. And, I, of course, you know, I love the deer hunt. That's awesome. It's fun. Um, age is more important to me. But, man, good luck. I, I, I want to shoot some ducks, and I would definitely want to shoot some turkeys, too. All right. That's, that's important. So my question to you is, would you rather, in a late-season situation over a food plot, would you rather be hunting – from a elevated tree stand, like a hang-on tree stand, or would you rather be in a like a ten-foot redneck enclosed blind? Ha! That's you know how cold I get. I'm going to take the blind. No, no, the, no ifs, ands, or buts. No ifs, ands, or buts. There's some my people, hands and feet kill me in late season, so I'm going to try and be in a blind. There's some people who cannot stand blinds. There are, and my hats off to you, but. And there was a time in my life, as I told you, when I was a kid, it was like, oh, sissy hunter, he's in a blind, oh, whatever, blah. But now I'm like, I can I'm control I'm so much my... smarter than this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm no kidding. This is 2018. Yeah. I don't have to be in a tree yeah. every day of the hunting yeah. season. Thanks, and Redneck. For, and, and now I'm in a, I've been in a, several Rednecks, and I'm like, man, this is awesome. I can control my sin a lot better, and I'm much warmer. Now, they've... You know, the first blinds that ever came out that I ever hunted out of, the the window situation wasn't ideal, but Rednecks come so... They've had great windows, I think, since they came out, but now they have it just set up to where you can bow hunt, gun hunt, and there's not a like a blind spot of, ah, oh, crap, I can't shoot my bow out of this blind. Like So it's set up great. They've solved issues. I'm going to take the blind. You know and me. I've my seen hands... You, no, don't... I, it's not a hand or, or a foot it, thing. It is. No, I've seen you nap in Rednecks before. <laughs> You've seen me nap in a tree stand, so what? what's your point? And shiver at the same time. Yeah. No, I think uh, there's something to be said about late season, especially if you're in a, a cold climate to where you have so many clothes on. Um, it's kind of hard to draw bows sometimes. So if you're yeah, in a blind, yeah. you have the ability to wear less clothes, control scent more. It's a To me, it's a no-brainer. I want to be in the blind. Okay. So, Done there deal. you go. All right. Woo, that was a long podcast. We That's actually, okay, though. We actually okay. thought for a second that today we're like, you know, hopefully we can stretch it out for an hour. And here we are, an hour and 20 minutes or 15 minutes. I don't even know. But anyway, hopefully I, you I, guys enjoyed this week's yeah. podcast. Let us know your thoughts on this property um, on social media. Let us know what you think of it. Um, they thought your recommendation, like, you guys wrong. Tell us. We want to we wanna hear. We There's like a good healthy chance. debates. Matt, Matt said something wrong. Baloney. <laughs> Baloney. Um, and another thing, please give us a review on Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, wherever yeah, you're yeah, listening. Yeah. And if you haven't already, doggone it, go like the Facebook and Instagram page. Yeah. All right, do. guys. We'll catch you next time. See ya. Thanks for listening to another episode of Land and Legacy's Hunting and Habitat Management Podcast. If you like what you hear, check us out at landandlegacy.tv. You can submit a viewer question right there. We're answering on the podcast. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Feels pretty good knowing that from the beginning of time, God has called us to be a caretaker, a gamekeeper, a manager of the land. So with that being said, don't you think we should do it all for the love of the land and the glory to God? Mm-hmm.